1989, a little-watched and little-lamented variety production called The Tracy Ullman Show gave rise to a slapdash animated series of shorts called The Simpsons. The Fox Network gave this cartoon about a dysfunctional family a shot as a feature show, and the rest is history. A day of work for Matt Groening, who up until that time was only known as the creator of the Life in Hell comic strip, gave rise to a multi-billion dollar franchise of video games, candy, and theme parks. But the media frenzy all began with the single half-hour Christmas episode, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. It's been 33 years, and the Simpsons are still going strong. So we thought we'd watch the episode that started it all. Get yourself whatever crummy American beer you have to hand, and imagine sitting with Barney and Moe to drink a duff. It's time for episode 68 of Toasting the Classics, The Simpsons, episode 1. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic, talk about it, decide whether it's a classic, and drink something inspired by the classic. In this case, it's pretty loosely inspired by the purported classic, I would have to say, the drink that we're doing this week. My name's Dave MacArthur, and I got with me my all-time favorite host. I am Clint Lanier. Hello, everybody. So what are we doing this week? It's your pick. It's free choice. You can do anything, any medium. We are doing uh, The Simpsons, starting with Simpsons, the very first episode aired, which was called Santa's Little Helper. Actually, it's not called that. No, uh, that was almost my big surprise. I thought it yeah. was called Santa's Little Helper, too. Simpsons Roasting on an, on an Open Fire. There which is a go. really creepy title for an episode. Borderline my big surprise, because I remembered it as being Santa's Little Helper was the name of the episode. Yeah, me too. Same here. I, and I, I always remembered it as that, but I guess just because of the dog. So anyway, so All we're right. doing The Simpsons generally, but we're starting with this episode. Seeing as how there's like 750 episodes of them. I have 738. 738. So it's been on for how many seasons has it been on? I think it's 30 something. 30, 33 seasons so far. 33 seasons. We are currently in their 34th season. This debuted December 17th, 1989. It was the first half hour long Simpsons episode. It was supposed to be kind of a Christmas episode. And it was supposed to be the prelude to what would become the series. And the series came out, I believe, the following May um, in 1990. I started May 1990. Oh, wait, run um, me through that. I, I, I didn't catch that. So this wasn't the beginning of the actual season? This was... Nope, nope, this was not. This was So this was essentially a Christmas special put out by Fox because everybody had to have a Christmas uh, special. No. Do you remember Garfield had a Christmas special? I remember there being things like that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Garfield had one. I think the Flintstones had one when they were running. Charlie Brown, uh, Charlie Brown obviously. Uh, even uh, Yogi Bear. Hey, boo-boo bear. There was infamously the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> Star Wars holiday special. That's right. Is that the one with the singing Ewoks or something like that? Not Ewoks, but yes, you're, you're on the something, right. Track. Something. I can't remember what it was. It, uh, it has the uh, Art Carney and B. Arthur doing musical numbers. Um, oh, and, uh, it was, it was cringy, cringy, board. cringy. It's very, very cringy. It's definitely something I would have watched as a kid, though, and enjoyed right. it. It's hard for content with Star Wars, but. Yeah, this is the Simpsons Christmas special. This is kind of uh, their premiere. So genesis of it, the Simpsons were a series of shorts that were in a show called The Tracy Ullman Show, which only lasted for like two or three seasons. It was kind of a variety sketch show uh, featuring this British comedian that I never thought was funny named Tracy Ullman. And these shorts were, they're called bumpers. They're, they're meant to go up against a commercial. So when you come in or out of a commercial, you have these bumpers and it, it, they'd be very short. I remember one, for example, when Homer was cooking dinner and he puts it on a plate in front of Bart and he says, eat your, eat your dinner, Bart. And Bart says, it looks like dog food. This is Bart. And he's like, if I eat dog food, I'll turn into a dog. And then Homer goes, Bart, 
Bart, Bart. And he's like, see, it's already happening to you. And that was the whole episode. Ten That's actually a pretty good seconds. impression of the early Homer voice, I have to say. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was. That, that, I I'm could do that one better. different than the Homer. Uh, than the yes, Homer, totally Homer. different. And totally Kessler. different. It's all Dan Castaneda, right? It was always Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. And and um, anyway, so th that's what it was originally. And the shorts were more popular than the Tracy Ullman show. They decided yeah. to do a spinoff, try to do a primetime. I guess this is the first primetime animated series since something called Wait Till Your Father Gets Home in the 1970s, which I'd never even heard of. The when Flintstones, was the Flintstones on? Was that a primetime thing? Or? Yeah, I think that was in the 60s, though. Oh, I see. like that. The first one since. Since, yeah. Because okay. I guess it just sort of died off. You know, and the Flintstones was a complete ripoff of the Honeymooners, which was like back in the 50s. And it sort of died off and the animation became something for, you know, for kids. Although there's the, the occasional heroes like Fire and Ice and Heavy Metal and stuff like that for adults. But so this is the first one since then. And they didn't know what was going to happen. And it just, it was like an atomic bomb exploded or lightning was caught in a bottle or something. I mean, it was, it was just the response was Absolutely amazing. I watched this December 17, 1989. That, I was going to ask you, I wrote down 1990, and I think I got that wrong. It was 89, right? Yeah, so this is December so, December of 89. Okay. And then, and then it debuted, and the series debuted in May of 1990. Right. That sounds more like it, because I have very specific memories of seeing it on Tracy Ullman, and mm -hmm. then watching this. I remember watching this when it came out, and then it was like... I think it added to the hype of the show that it wasn't on for a while right. afterwards. Because I remember kids wearing the t-shirts. It was a thing for like... It was a yeah, yeah, it was a cultural thing. It was, it was a pheno cultural phenomenon is yeah. what happened. I mean, from 90 to like 91, I remember, you know, Bartmania, the Bart, do the Bartman, remember the stupid song? No. There was like, there was <laughs> t-shirts that, that said, uh, eat my shorts. I caramba. Uh, I caramba. Uh, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? You know, all this yeah, sort of that's stuff. from this episode. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. But they built up. I mean, they built the suspense up for five months after this came out. With the series five that came out, it was like every kid watched this. I would have been a sophomore. I would have been like 16 years old when this came out, something like that. You know, it's funny that um, we were talking about the Star Wars holiday special, right? Yeah. I think, I don't know why more people haven't, imit more companies haven't imitated this, but that hiatus between having the first show and then having the show actually come on and there being right. like no content for like six months created the phenomenon in a large way. It's like they, yeah. they messed up and they didn't have any Star Wars figures ready to sell to kids in the summer of 77 when the movie came out. Yeah. They were only available. They weren't even ready for Christmas. They were ready like after Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of delay creates like a pent up demand for a thing yeah. it turns into like a huge phenomenon. I think you're right. I mean, now we're living in a culture where it's, there's got to be more content. And what you do is you repurpose right. content, right? And so like, if we wanted to, we're zooming right now, ladies and gentlemen, or I'm sorry, lady and gentlemen. But uh, if we wanted to, we could record the Zoom video and put that up on YouTube if anybody would bother watching it. But I mean, you reuse, you repurpose, you recycle content, which is sort of what they did. They took these things that were existing turn right. it into something else. But you're right. There was this delay. They came out with it in December and they said, we're going to have a series based on this. And everybody's like, oh man, I can't wait. And right. then everybody watched it on the premiere and it was worth it. I, I guess what the thing is, they followed through. They made a promise that this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread and they followed through on it. Right. And it was a great, it was a great show. It's good content. That's one of the good things about the Simpsons is it's pretty much always been funny. I don't know if we want to do a synopsis of this particular episode, but 
I didn't really laugh a lot watching this episode. This one didn't have a lot of classic jokes, but you could see the sense of humor. It had the edge that The Simpsons always has, maybe even a little bit more of an edge than The Simpsons later had in terms of the relationships and the family. It's not as zany. You know, obviously The Simpsons sometimes goes into like science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that. The only thing in this entire episode that comes across that way is Bart gets a tattoo and then there's immediately a laser removal place with a big space ray through a yeah. at yeah. the moment. That's a little weird. That's not, yeah. you know, otherwise everything in it is pretty much reality. So, uh, right. <laughs> although I did notice that Bart is walking, sorry, Homer is walking around in the freezing cold in his, in his standard t-shirt uniform. Like it seems like a detail that later show writers wouldn't have missed, but right. But all the elements, the ingredients were there, like Patty and Selma, Marge's sisters. I love that whole part. Like, can I speak to Marge, please? Who's calling? <laughs> Let me speak to Marge, please. Who is this? Is Marge there, there please? <laughs> you know, just that whole thing, the dynamics, and the grandpa, and Snowball too. Because <laughs> we had a little action in the Snowball right. one. I mean, all of the elements were there. It was zany. I, I did laugh. Actually, I watched it with my kids when I rewatched it. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if they had seen it. And I mean, it, it's kind of funny. The reason I scheduled this was... Christmas, right? That only occurred to me like as I was writing on a day that the, the, the episode <laughs> yeah. was released. I said, oh, oh, that's probably why we're doing this right well, now. Like, December 17th, the day the show came out, is right. uh, my parents' anniversary or my, oh. bi my biological parents' anniversary and also the date of the Boston Tea Party. Is it the date <laughs> of the Boston Tea Party? Huh. Yeah. I don't know why, but that's a, the kind of thing my dad would notice. He'd be like, oh, my wedding anniversary is the same day as the Boston Tea Party. That's how right, I that's, remember Which is how you remember it now, right? Because right? it's probably yeah, seared exactly into your mind now. Yeah, I watched it with the kids. They laughed. They loved it. You know, there there are a lot of throwback parts. Like what I mean, throwback was the Al quit it. Al quit it. Al yeah. quit it. You know, that whole thing. Everybody did that. A lot. I think it was probably nostalgic laugh. Because how old were you when this came out? You must have been a few, you're, you're a few years younger 12. than me. So. You're 12. I was 12. Okay. This, this was in seventh grade. Yeah, I definitely have memories. I think I, I think I did have a T-shirt. I don't remember which one I had. I transitioned from all my Batman stuff, and then I had a Simpsons T-shirt, like at, at, just after that. So, well, you were right in the in the wheelhouse, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, for that for that age. Um, yep. Okay. Are you are you ready for this? Okay. This is what would have been aimed towards you. Really. Oh, yeah. Gotta be funky, right? You don't remember this? I remember the, the phrase through the bark man, but I don't remember it being on the radio. Or... Even at the time, that was a terrible, terrible rap. But no, I do kind of remember. Maybe I do remember that because I kind of, although, is it kind of a parody of one of the Will Smith songs? Like one of the DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince songs? It I think this, this might predate them. I don't know. Um, it kind of sounds like um, parents just don't understand. It reminds me of that. And I think it has some of the same cadence to it. I don't know if it's actually a parody of it, but this was released in 1990. 
I would have thought this was pretty corny in 1990. I was 13. I think I was pretty cool by then. So I think I probably would have turned my nose up at it. Can you um, try take a wild guess who produced this song? A wild guess who produced yeah. that song? Um, I, I'm not coming up with anything. I don't know. Who, who would it be? Michael Jackson. Oh, okay. That makes sense. He was really good at getting his hands on just about anything that was worth anything. Remember we told that anecdote about how Paul McCartney told him that he didn't have the right rights to the Beatles songs or something. So he went out. No, and he said, them. he said, if you want to have like guaranteed income, you need to own the rights to music. And oh. he's like, oh, that's a good idea. And so he went and bought the Beatles, <laughs> all the rights <laughs> to the Beatles music. Wow. Paul McCartney's like, what the hell? <laughs> I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. When I say phenomenon, any listener uh, who wasn't, around at that at that time i can't stress enough how big it was i mean every they slapped the simpsons and especially bart simpson because bart bart was when it came out at first bart was sort of the character they focused on a lot uh mm -hmm. because like i guess they thought that it would it would uh really work with little kids like little all the merchandise had bart simpson on it you had to do the bartman you had a skateboard you had all kinds of silly stuff it was also and, there was a very um Fox as a channel because of like married with children and a couple of other properties they had, they had, and like the XFL. So there was this culture is like too strong of a term for it, but there was this like thumbing your nose at like the elites and the things you were supposed to like. And Bart Simpson mm. was kind of a part of that. And so, yeah, LA, maybe there, you know, it was like, it was like low, lower class sheet or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't exactly know how to describe it, but it was a yeah. reaction to, I don't know, all the, all the things like uh, my dinner with Andre that were popular in the eighties. <laughs> so like yeah. That. Like, yeah. Was, but now uh, it's, now it seems so cheesy and corny. I mean, he would say, eat my shorts, stuff like that. Let me, so let me, let me give you this figure. When I say that the merchandising was huge uh, during the first 14 months of merchandising, which began in, in uh, 1990, they made $2 billion in revenue wow. that was 1990 dollars. so I'm, I'm just going to look this up because i'm a complete nerd so inflation oh, calculator that's, that's a lot um, of money i mean that's a lot of money in anybody's book because that's i mean there was a video game i remember that there was like a ninja turtle style video game where you marge got to you know you're like hitting people with skateboards and stuff and there were like you said right? lunchboxes and the tv show itself two billion seems like a lot of money though that seems like a lot of money to have made off of that but i guess you know it was a global phenomenon it was yeah. huge, but but they also put it on everything. I mean, you had lunch boxes. I remember pencils. You had trapper keepers. I mean, you name it. They had, you know, they would slap the, the Simpsons on it. Comic books. And it's essentially what Disney did. You know, they they just they put <laughs> they put the Simpsons on whatever you could think of. They probably had Simpsons TV dinners, and so yeah, it was it was huge. But that's because you know the the show was so successful. The chops to back it up. It wasn't. Uh, no, it was a quality product. Yeah, it was a quality product, for sure. Merchandising something that was garbage. I mean, the merchandise itself was garbage. Was garbage, yes, for sure. But the product was quality, like flagship show that people right. would watch. I don't, you know, the word on the street is that the latest seasons haven't been very good, and I don't really watch it anymore. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. You know, it, it was always funny. I, I don't even think the beginning of it was close to the funniest part of the show, so it definitely got funnier down the road. Yeah. Uh, so what are, what are we drinking today, by the way? Oh, uh, we, we are drinking the worst beer that you could possibly find. That's pretty much what I told you. One of the recurring jokes. I'm drinking a Coors Banquet beer, Cheers. Ah, which okay. which looks looks that looks like, like wa water. Water, looks yeah, like it really does, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I got PBR, which I thought was appropriate since I'm a New York hipster. Yeah, bag. of course. So. Right, absolutely. Hope your your uh, 
pants are a little bit too short for your legs and they're skinny, tight. Skinny and, jeans. Yeah, skinny jeans. The reason we're, we're drinking it, of course, is the running, one of the running gags is Duff beer. That's sort of in, in the Sim- Simpsons world, that's sort of what they drink. And uh, I think it was a ripoff of Budweiser, actually, because they had Duff Man who would show up and like, he, he would have like a tap in each hand. Like that was his, he was this big muscle bound looking superhero Duff man, but in each hand he'd have a tap and he'd pour beers for everybody. And then, so they'd have like, you know, girls in bikinis running around and stuff like that. And I think at the time you had uh, like Spuds McKenzie and that whole oh, yeah. type Speaking of merchandising market. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Market. I remember everybody having, I was in like fifth grade when Spuds McKenzie was a big deal. Everybody's wearing beer t-shirts. Yeah. School. Beer t-shirts. Our kids were wearing Spuds McKenzie shirts. Yeah. yeah it's kind of funny. I don't think you could have that today. I think that right. would be like Joe Camel t-shirts at school. Yeah. But in the, in the Simpsons universe, you have like Duff gardens instead of Bush gardens and you have uh, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And so that's, that's what Homer's always drinking. So that's what we're drinking. And in the episode, he's out at Moe's Tavern drinking what we would assume. I don't think they revealed it was Duff until – I don't think Duff shows up in this episode, but later it's Duff. You know, they go to Moe's. And they're just drinking out of glasses, though. So an interesting reference, and this is this is feeding into what will eventually be my biggest surprise for the episode, but the reference in Moe's, the bar of Moe's is designed after an actual bar that Matt Groening went to in uh-huh. Eugene, Oregon. Oh, okay. Um, and it was called Duffy's. So oh, it's, Duffy's. Kind of, yeah. it's kind of a link to the name of the beer. Although I think Duff is just kind of a play on Bud. It's just kind Probably. of one yeah. syllable uh, sound. It, right. uh, Matt, Matt Graham did confirm that it is not as was claimed by Duff McKagan named after Duff McKagan because he was <laughs> a big beer drinker. That's not really true. That's not it. No, no, that's, uh, that's, have you been to, have you been to Simpsons, uh, the Simpsons park at Universal? Absolutely. Yeah. Both, both universals. In fact, yep. Sure oh, you've been to both units. Oh, you know, I guess I have to. I don't remember if we went to the Simpsons thing at both of them, but we went to. It's a big one. part of the one, the one in California. It's a big part, and actually, I think it's a bigger part of the one in California than it is the one in Florida. The one in in California has things like uh, Krusty Burger. I don't think they have that in Florida. Uh, they have. They do. Um, they do. Yeah, they do. They have. Do they? they have, yeah, they've got a, the Quickie Mart and the Krusty Burger. Well, they had the Quickie Mart. I remember that. Um, a couple of rides based on it. Um, there's like a Simpsons sit down. Well, they have the same ride they have at California. The one where you sit yeah. down. And yeah. The Simpson ride. You don't actually move. It's a, in it's 3d. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 3d ride. Call those uh, California though, they have the Krusty burger, but they also have that chicken place by the, the hillbilly chicken place. And then they have. Yeah. Um, I think they have that too. I don't remember I all that. I don't remember the the restaurants in, in, in uh, Florida. Yeah, there definitely was good. But we had a thing where Alex had his geography be. And at the end of the competition, one of the big treats was they got the kids like a like a unlimited pass to Universal Studios for like four hours where the kids from the B were the only ones in there. Oh, cool. One of, the, one of the areas we were allowed to walk around was the Simpsons area. So yeah. we, we definitely spent a lot of time walking back and forth around there playing the games over and over again. Yeah. Right? Right, multiple times and stuff. So it was... Um, now, you want to talk merchandising. Look at that. Look at Sim- the Simpsons land in Universal. So they've got they've got Lard Lad Donuts, right? Which is just this donut the size of your head. Uh, they've got Duff Beer Gardens. Uh-huh. They've got all those restaurants, and they have uh, Squishies instead of uh, Slurpees. They had Squishies in, in the Simpsons that you get from Quickie Mart. So they have those. So it's just one thing after another. I mean, they as far as I know, they didn't sell Duff beer. They did, yeah. 
They did sell Duff beer? Well, there's a Duff Gardens. You have to go to Duff Gardens to get the Duff beer. Oh, okay. I missed so that. They don't, I they, don't sell it, they don't sell it in the restaurants? I don't remember yeah. them selling in the restaurants, but they might. I didn't see it. They definitely, they definitely had it at Duff Gardens. So I had a Duff Light and a, and a Duff. Uh, and they tasted exactly like the beer I'm drinking now, which is coarse. I was, I actually, when we were talking about it the last time, how we don't actually talk about the drinks any, as much as we used to. So I was uh, like looking up a, a few things. I wondered if you could explain the phrase brewed with a combination of two and six row mar- malted barley. What is that? Uh, oh, two, two and six row. Yeah. So it's, it's just the type of grain that they use. So there's two row barley and six row barley. You ever looked okay. at, you know, when they show you a picture of it and it has those seeds on it and that, that's actually the barley. Okay. So Does that mean six, rows of barley on there? Rows of barley. Yeah. Six rows, two rows. Okay. That's yeah. what I was imagining, but I wasn't sure. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I'm it's, picturing it's, the barley from the, from the brewer's hat. Yeah. From the Milwaukee brewer's hat. So. It's, it's just a, um, you know, this beer that I'm drinking, the beer that you're drinking, they're just typical American, traditional American lagers, you might call them, which yeah. are vapid and and cheap and very, very light, as you can see from mine. I mean, literally looks like water. You can see through my bottle, definitely. Like I can yeah. look through the bottle and I can see your face on the Zoom on the other side. Right. But I feel like not a lot of good beers have that property. <laughs> no. Transparency, I don't think, is a number one trait of beer. No. Well, I mean, uh, let's but see. Have we talked about color in beer? Is color something that just comes out of the, out of the mixture or is it something you add? So color, no, color comes out of the mixture, but it, it so color is ba- is going to be based on the how much grain you use. So a, a light beer is going to be lighter in color typically. These are, you know, they're filtered and, you know, just super, super light beers. I bet that PBR, if you look at it, I bet the alcohol is probably like four and a half percent or 4%, maybe 4. five. 4.8. 4. 4. 4. 4. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's a pretty light beer. So you look at like a, an IPA or maybe a lager or an ale that you get in a, like a craft beer place, you're looking at like six or 7% and it's going to be darker and prettier than these are. One of my favorite things about the history of this beer is apparently what they did was wanted to take advantage of the great Chicago fire that destroyed Mm. a whole bunch of breweries in Chicago that were dominant in the region. So they set up shop in Milwaukee because they're, you know, just to try to just to try to move in after the fire. So I thought that was a very American opportunistic Absolutely. Story. Speaking of which, um, I don't know if you knew this, but I have a new, a new book coming out. Uh, it's called, oh. uh, yeah, it's called Ted Mack and America, Ted Mack and America's first black owned brewery, uh, the rise and fall of people's beer. And it's all <laughs> about beer in Milwaukee and Oshkosh and the first African-American to there try to know. get it, enter the, uh, the beer business. Uh, now, would so, that be available for pre-sale on Amazon? That is available for pre-sale at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and whenever you, wherever you find finer books, as they say. Okay, so, I mean, probably at those other places where you find crappy books too, right? Just I know. hope. <laughs> I, I I hope it's everywhere. But uh, you know, part of the proceeds actually goes to the to the Mac family. Sort of my way to pay him back for what happened to him, as you'll see, and if you read the book, you'll find out. So your proceeds actually help to right a wrong, so to speak. PBR is kind of a funny, funny story. So they were the biggest beer brand in the nation, you know, right up until about the 60s. And Budweiser took over and sort of never looked back. But PBR, by the 19, early 1980s, they were like just absolutely dying. And so, so, so I was looking at this. They were the number three beer in America in 1980. As yeah. late as 1980, they were number three beer. I never saw anybody drink Pabst Blue. Me neither, right. Ever. I never saw that. I, my dad I believe, had 
like some weird ones. Like what, did, what was that weird one? Low and brow, which yeah. I'm now realizing was probably a play on low brow, right? I think Lowenbrow was owned by somebody. I mean, what you had is from about 1960 on, you had what they call this, this concentration of the beer industry. The beer industry became smaller as certain brewers became bigger. And those certain brewers put the other smaller brewers out of business, right? That includes the uh, Mac? That includes Mac. Oh, yeah. spoiled, spoiler alert. Anyway, uh, I'm just joking. We all know it's not the biggest beer. <laughs> I'm just joking. But uh, yeah, so I mean, you had um, you know these big brewers took over. In fact, uh, in 1984, I think the three, there are three brewers in America that produce 80% of the beer in America. Only three brewers. It was Coors, wow. Miller, and Budweiser. Just and those three. Still today? Still no, today? no, not, not anymore. No. That was sort of the pinnacle of the, of the concentration. And what happened was the craft beer industry kicked off. Thanks really to, there's a beer called Anchor Steam. That was one of the first uh, with no. Fritz Maytag. He bought that in, in like 68 or 67. And then after that, uh, Jack McAuliffe opened a place called New Albion, I think is what it's called, brewing company in uh, Napa, California. And then Sierra Nevada was open. Anchor Steam is San Francisco, right? Yep. And then uh, Sierra Nevada was uh, was founded in like the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of one after the other after that. You have like Lagunitas. You have uh, Sam Adams and so forth. It's funny that California was so instrumental in that. Like it seems. But I mean, you know, it kind of makes sense. I mean, they're, they're sort of the epicenter for innovation and in, in, in a lot of things and, and but isn't that strange it's strange in california and i think they still continue to be it's such a, it's such a place for innovation it's weird well you know they they draw a creative a very creative crowd you know and yeah. the people that the people that founded it i mean fritz maytag aside so that's fritz maytag bought anchor steam in oh. like i said like around 67 68 his last name should give you a clue of how much money he had it's, yeah, it's Maytag, as in Maytag, you know. Um, so not he had all as kinds of money. The guy who sits around waiting to fix the machine, right? Yeah, he's not actually that guy. Not that but guy. He, it was a hobby for him. He got into beer. He bought this this brewery that was about to go under, and then he said, "You know what? I'm not going to try to compete with Coors and Bud. Instead, I'm going to buy the absolute best ingredients and try to make beer like they do in Europe." And so he, because he didn't have to worry about making money, he was able to create sort of these these great beers. That people started started buying and like this is so much better than this other junk that we have to buy, and then he was the inspiration for the first recognizes the first craft brewery, which is New Albion. The combination of both of them inspired the guy that opened, uh, you know, created Sierra Nevada, and just on and on. So you know, it, it took that innovation that somebody that was a hobbyist. And it is interesting though that it all kind of happened in California. The thing about California is, in a lot of ways, it's just an ideal place to live. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the climate and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's a great place to live. They're, they've always been trying to kill that by, you know, making, yeah. <laughs> making it difficult to live there. But the fact is, right. want to live in California. It's a nice place. Yeah. To live. But I think, I think uh, Duff beer is best reflected in, in any cheap American brand. I think that's sort of what Matt Groening grew up in uh, Washington, so or Oregon rather. So he would have been drinking like Olympia probably something like that yeah, yeah we mentioned um, that on the uh, nirvana episode yep probably. nirvana so it would be like an american light lager which is what the, what olympia was or is back to back to the simpsons do you want to give a I think so, yeah yeah so the a- so this episode i remember this being a pretty dark episode because to me the idea of a family not having enough money at christmas was just like upsetting 
Like it just yeah. was stressful to watch this episode <laughs> when I was a kid. I remember that. It's basically the story of they don't have enough money for Christmas because Marge saves up every year and has a big jar full of money to, to pay for all the Christmas presents. Homer doesn't have a particularly lucrative job and, and Marge is a stay-at-home mom. He also gets his Christmas bonus canceled by greedy Mr. Burns, who becomes a character, obviously. But I don't think we actually see Mr. Burns, do we? You hear the voice. I don't it's know. Definitely yeah, I can't remember. It's definitely yeah, I can't remember. on the loudspeaker. Um, right. That sounds exactly the same. So they took that character and ran with it. But anyway, he loses his bonus. And then she's got her money. And Bart goes and gets a tattoo. So she has to pay to have the tattoo removed. And that wipes out everything they have for Christmas. And there's just the usual stresses. It's one of the things I found stressful about watching Married with Children, by the way. I couldn't stand how, how difficult life was for them. Like, right. I, I enjoyed watching something like the Cosby show where they didn't have any, any money problems. <laughs> Dr. Huxtable? Dr. I don't want to be reminded of things like that while I was watching a comedy when I was a kid. But anyway. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a loser, sort of a loser story. I mean, but I, I mean, Homer's supposed to be kind of the everyman, right? Um, he's the average Joe, everyman. You know, it's happened to, it's probably happened to more people that were watching. Like they didn't, they were expecting a Christmas bonus. They didn't get it. Yeah, you have a bit of class warfare going on with the, with the greedy uh, millionaire, kind of a art archetype, a rich guy. But then, you know, how does he react? So the first thing he does is he goes to the bar, <laughs> which is which is again a very, I guess, stereotypical thing to do. And his, his drunk friend tells him that he can be a Santa Santa Claus at the mall and make money. So he does that. I love that that yeah, he he, he does all this work for like nine bucks or something, like thirteen dollars or something. He's like thirteen dollars, and she's like, "Well, after taxes, after training, after your your costume, you know, blah 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 blah." Costume rental and the uh, Christmas club, whatever that is. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, oh, that is that is so typical. All that that being my experience of getting my first paycheck in my life. I I remember being, and it it, by the way, it was at McDonald's, and I remember being very disappointed at all the taxes that came out that they charged me fifty dollars for my uniform. (laughs) Right, right. I was like. I wouldn't, I don't, you know, $50 for your clothes was a lot of yeah. money back then. Like right. I didn't pay $50 for most of the things I wore and, and you know, whatever. Well, they, they always say that, that, that uh, economic progressive liberals or economic liberals quit becoming economic liberals when they get a job and they see their first paycheck or something like that. And yeah. Like, why are you taking so much taxes out? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. I think, I don't think anybody particularly likes that. I think the bigger your paycheck, the more likely you are to say, Hey, oh. What the hell? Well, that's what that's what states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, you know, without I think uh, Nevada, you know, those without state income taxes, at least start looking a little bit more attractive. You know, I went to I bought this beer was eight ninety nine at the bodega and the bill was eleven dollars and ninety. I was like, wait, what a lot. It was eight ninety nine. And he says, yeah, tax. And I'm like, yeah, you're not charging me two fifty in tax or two. What is that? $2.91 $2.91 in tax. That's not right. We have high taxes in New York, but they're not 25%. Did you look at the receipt? He said, oh, I'll give you a receipt. And I said, okay. So I looked at him like, so what's this for? And he was like, bye. I was like, what? <laughs> where, where, where am I? Where am I I'm not going to argue with you over $1.20. And you're right, but this is an annoying situation. Was it one of those really fancy places with the bulletproof glass and the little tray that you put your money under? That's what all the places are, but oh, yes. they, they, that's what they all are now. Actually, no, they're not all like that, but this one is. If you sell alcohol, well, that's not true. No, the one across the street, the Yemeni guys don't seem to be worried about it. <laughs> Yemeni, <laughs> yeah. Open the, open Yemeni. The okay. 
Wow, that's interesting. Uh, they're probably By pretty the way, tough. <laughs> in, in, in between my uh, my drinks of water, I'm having a little bit of a uh, little bit of bourbon. So Maybe I need some alcohol in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have um, lots of kids to pick up today. Although I don't have to drive, so it doesn't really matter. But I'd go all over the city to pick up the kids after after this show. So, so do you take uh, the the train? Yep, I got to get. Cleo's in the neighborhood so I can walk and get her. And then Alex is in Midtown. So I got to go take the train down there. You guys should take a train someday to, or not a train, a bus to uh, Tappan, New York. There you will find the old 76 house, which okay. is where John Andre was essentially locked up after he was caught during oh, yeah, the Revolutionary yeah. War. That's where he was housed. It was a, it's been a bar since like the 1600s. And that, that place is actually founded by the Dutch. That little town was founded by the Dutch. It's a cool little town, man. It has a cool little revival church across the, the, the street. The two buildings that they built when they first settled were the church and the pub. The pub's still there. It's it's a neat a neat place. You can go get uh, dinner there. And you said we were doing sort of the Simpsons in general. I didn't watch any other Simpsons for the show, but I did do I did read a little bit about the history of the show yeah. in general. Did you what what did you watch? Did you watch other episodes? Yeah, well, I mean, not not for not for show prep, so to speak. But I mean, I've watched. We could just talk about them in general. There's so many out there. I mean, you could talk about you know everything from the Treehouse of Horror to just whatever. I mean, you can talk about predictions. <laughs> There's you right. know the, the Simpsons. The Simpsons are such a ubiquitous you know show that they've been out there for so long. I think the prediction thing is a Bader Meinhof effect. It's like there's so much yeah. writing and so much right. content. That of course you're going to stumble on something that actually happens every once in a while. Yeah. So yeah, I think I, I think you're right. I think, and that makes the most sense. It's not like they're they really are predictive, but there have been some funny ones, right? Like the Trump president. Yeah, that's, that's, Trump's that's already hilarious. About running for president, I think when that happened, when yeah, they wrote it. 90, yeah, ninety apparently. I guess idea. That'd be like if I wrote something funny about Kanye West becoming president, and then in 2045 he becomes president. <laughs> right, right. It would be about that. him being just be something that, you know. Life or if you wrote about him being like anti-Semitic, that'd be crazy, huh? And mm-hmm. then you'd be like, now he is. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> the Venn diagram of like crazy paranoid rappers and anti-Semitism has a big yeah. intersection. You said you, did you watch Tracy Ullman? Do you remember watching this when it yeah, originally came out? I do. So the story of how it ended up on Tracy Ullman was pretty good. I, mm-hmm. I saw a little bit about that. It was just basically one of the guys on the show was a fan of Matt Groening. Yep. just asked him to do. Uh, it was one of the pro- yeah, one of the pro- one of the producers, the producer of yeah. the show. I think it was Brooks. In fact, I think it was James Brooks. Yeah. So yeah, Graining Graining had a a, a comic strip, and I remember it. It's called Life Is Hell, and it's right. about this one-eared rabbit. All this, and it was kind of a situational type of thing. Poor poor luck or sad sack type of. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had one one ear. <laughs> He's a rabbit with one yeah. ear, and so everything bad ever always happened to him, and it was kind of a funny situation. Did you have life, life is hell? Is it life in hell or life is hell? Life in hell. I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. Life in hell, I think. But I had, so I had the books of life in hell, mm-hmm. but only in the early 90s, like after The Simpsons was already out. I didn't know what that was because I don't think any of the papers in DC carried life in hell. I think it was a nationally yeah, syndicated. Life in hell, yeah, right. I think it was a nationally syndicated comic strip, but I don't think it made it into every market. And I, really interested in what the story is for why it wasn't because i read that all the washington post comic strips i read those religiously like every well day. it wasn't it wasn't in mainstream it was it was in a lot of the indie and like art and you know urban underground you know whatever you want to call it so here like, it was published in, like um here it was published in the college newspaper called the roundup 
Uh, so okay. we would we would get copies of the Roundup because they were free on campus. My brother went to college there, so you know uh, we'd get copies of that. It had you know Life in Hell, and as well as a bunch of other you know comics that you wouldn't see anywhere else. And there was a little bit more. I mean, Life in Hell was a little bit more mature, I think. Not mature in okay. terms of of like language or anything or situations, but it was just in, it in was, terms of it was a little bit. There were gay characters and stuff like that. Right. It but it, but much more, much more so intellectually. I mean it was, you know, that the jokes were often commentary on cultural or political things or whatever. I remember and, there being references to Nietzsche and stuff like that. Like yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. So I kind of um, wish we'd had it. Honestly, I would have read it. I would have that probably would have opened my mind. You you you're at, you were at an advantage to me having a university newspaper around you. Like you actually had like your finger on the cultural pulse more than I did because I was yeah. just in the suburbs, you know. I didn't well, have- I actually met Matt Grining at the university. Uh, oh, it must have been it, it would have been about 89, 88 or oh. I was always really interested in art. I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was in high school. So I took art through through all four years of high school. One year, our teacher would give us extra credit if we went to this presentation at, at NMSU, at the, at the local college. And turned out the presentation was Matt Graining and the guy who wrote a comic called Zippy the Pinhead. Oh, no, Zippy, that one? Zippy was in the Washington Post, at the, okay. on, in, the, in the regular so, newspaper. I hated um, it. I always read it, <laughs> but it wasn't funny at all. Like, I know. Bill, yeah, for some Bill, reason, Bill, I liked yeah. it, and I knew it was really popular, and I knew it was yeah. very smart, but I didn't get it at all. Yeah, I know. I Me neither. And so you get in there. It was the University Art Gallery. Basically, they had like originals of, mm-hmm. you know, framed, kind of hanging up everywhere of Zippy and Life in Hell. And That's then they cool. did a quick, then they did kind of a quick presentation and stuff like that. And so if you went, you get extra credit. So I went, got extra credit. And, and, and met him. And then like a year later, it just blew up. But see, the thing about it was it, he never really clicked that it was Matt Groening. The Simpsons were just the Simpsons, right? right. I didn't realize who it was that, that created it or who it was until much later. I'm like, oh, I went sort of met him. No, that's really cool. That's like a, um, you know, you get to see him like in his rookie year. Like you got Yeah, pretty year. much. That's, that's yeah, it was, before, it was before everything really blew up for him. So here's, a, here's, a, here's something to think about. $2 billion in revenue in 14 months, merchandise. Okay. okay. That was from that was in 1990. Released ostensibly in 1990. It's in its 30, what did I say? 30. 34th season. 34th season. So it's been running 30, well, 32 years. They've made a lot more merchandise since then. Matt Groening has a piece of absolutely everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I just, so I looked up his, his, uh, his net worth. And these are notoriously wrong, but they're guessing it's about six hundred million dollars. Yeah. He's almost he's almost a billionaire off of one. I mean, he's granted he's done Futurama and he did this other thing for Netflix. Have you seen a picture Simpsons. of his second wife? You can tell how much <laughs> is she different than the first wife a little bit? Yeah, she, yeah, she's a little different than the first wife. Is it, is um, it sort of the is it sort of the Jeff Bezos story? You know, first wife. Yeah, and then I don't I don't know. I haven't seen Jeff Bezos's wife, so I'm gonna hold up. Well, I don't think I don't think they're married. I think they're they're dating, but she broke up their marriage, and she's uh, um. Let's see. How can I explain her? Vivacious is that vivacious? I guess is a good word. Maybe vivacious is that what you said? Yeah, I think you you would would you describe Marilyn Monroe as vivacious? I think Are you mean like buxom? Perhaps. I mean, that could be part of it. I right. think just more That's outgoing. Word, but there's another word. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about how huge this is. So there was this part in the episode 
where Bart is talking about Christmas franchises and what happens in their Christmas specials. And he said something about Charlie. It happened to Tiny Tim. It happened to Charlie Brown. And it happened to the Smurfs. And I was thinking, I bet my kids would know who the Simpsons are better than any of those three properties. Right, right. You know, if and if you'd have told me in 1989 the Simpsons would be bigger than the Smurfs, I wouldn't have believed you. And they are definitely bigger than. That's the very true. The well, question see, is, is Charlie Brown. I don't think my kids know what Charlie Brown is. I think they'd be vaguely familiar with Snoopy, and that would be about it. Like they don't really know what Snoopy's from. But they they know Snoopy's a character in something. So they they've never watched the Peanuts Christmas special. I've never watched the Peanuts Christmas special. Say so, what? Yeah, I don't know. I've I've had this conversation. I think I've had this conversation with you before. I, I've never watched any of those. I I found them to be really depressing. So when they were on, I would turn them <laughs> off. Some, something about the way they sounded and the, the teachers with the with the jazz musicians for their, for their <laughs> something well, about just. Everything about that show was like Rocky and Bullwinkle. It just was something I didn't want to watch. I didn't like the way it looked or sounded or something, and I wouldn't watch it. Even though I ended up watching Rocky and Bullwinkle years later, and I was like, oh, this is actually a really funny cartoon. Like one of <laughs> it really is, cartoons. actually, yeah. My kids love, <clears throat> especially Alex. Like I, I mentioned we were doing this episode, and he said, oh, I, you know, I know everything. I've seen every single episode of The Simpsons. And I said, wow. well, we have Disney Plus, so you haven't seen the ones that were offensive. And he said, oh, no, those are on Amazon Prime. <laughs> nice. That's, yeah, that's, that's actually, awesome. I said, well, what, were they offensive? And he was like, no, not really. I, you know, it's not, it's not really anything. They were offensive to five white women wearing Uggs. And they're all named Karen. That, that's who they're offensive to. Yeah. That, that, that's, those are the only people that get offended. I don't even know what the purported uh, controversy was, but I've seen some uh, of the who knows? controversy these days, and I'm not impressed. Who so. knows? You, you'll get everything will offend something, you know? Just don't, don't. Well, I, I think, you know, what do you think about the whole, so the, what part of the controversy was Hank Azaria does a lot of voices. And so he's a, he's an actor. He's, well, he's been, Apu in general. Right? Yeah, Apu. So he, he, he voiced Apu and he, and he's, he no longer does Apu. I think they got rid of Apu as an act, as, as a character. Oh, okay. What do you think about, what do you think about that? So I remember actually when I was a kid, I guess it would have been my 1989 version of being woke or 1990 or whatever. But I remember thinking like, you know, you can't have racism on shows. You can't like, you know, make fun of black people or whatever on shows. But for some reason, it seems to be okay to make fun of people with like Middle Eastern or Indian accents. Like they had the guy in short circuit and then like Apu. And I remember thinking like, this is not, this is not great. Like this is something we probably, we're only doing this because it's just not that many people that it offends. And, and, you know, this is a small constituency in America now. It's probably offending the crap out of 500,000 people, but we just don't, nobody thinks about it or cares. I don't think it was done with any kind of like hatred in mind. I think it just came from a place where there weren't that many people of those ethnicities in America at the time. And so it just slipped through the cracks. It's like, there used to be a lot of um, parodies of Asian people in 80s movies. And pretty quickly, I think as, as more and more people were Asian, like, I think it got to be like, why are, you know, Long Duck Dong from 16 Candles just starts to right. seem pretty inappropriate, pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and how about Andy Andy Rooney and Asian Face in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, for example? Is it Andy Rooney or is it Mickey, Mickey? Mickey Rooney? Mickey Rooney, yeah, yeah, okay. not Andy Rooney. Yeah, Mickey Rooney. Sorry. Yeah, no, that that's totally messed up. I don't know how that one ever got through. I mean, that's just there weren't enough people who were Asian in America to object to that. Like, and yeah. nobody was listening to them. So, or you had uh, John Wayne as um, Genghis Khan. Uh, yeah, we, Genghis yeah, Khan. Yeah, Genghis Khan. 
That's, <laughs> that's right. But that was just having a white guy play an Asian part. The Mickey, the right. Mickey Bernie thing is just off the top, over the top. I mean, it's just, yeah, a- yeah. That, that one was terrible. Well, that was a caricature plus, plus Asian face more, more or less, but yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know. I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm a white guy that just wrote a book about a black guy. Am I allowed to do that? A little bit of, I ran into some uh, controversy with that, I guess, in the academic circles. Yeah. Well, our, I've already been asked about it. Is, so is that not allowed? So can a, a short person write a book about Abraham Lincoln? I mean, where does it stop? It's stupid. I'm not trying to say that I know how, how his experience was. I never do that in my book. Instead, I, I, it's all based on a historian but, that's doing their job. And like you said, using the proper sources and stuff, you're always performing a feat of empathizing with somebody, right? You, you're not them. You weren't there. What does right, it matter? Well, what does yeah, it matter whether you're black or white? I don't really understand right. why all of a sudden that's a boundary that can't be crossed. Like if I can write about somebody from the 1600s, why the hell couldn't I write about somebody who's black, who's, not, who's much closer to me in right. time, who's in my country? I think that's very silly. I mean, I just read, I think we talked about this maybe before, but I just, I just read an autobiography, a really excellent autobiography of Frederick Douglass that was done by a white guy. And he actually addressed it at the beginning. He was like, well, you know, just compare this to other books and see if you like it or not. And that's sure, about all he had sure. to say about it. Like, and I, I think mean, I'll, I'll have to do that eventually. But I'm supporting and, and, this documentation. I've got my own take on it. I'm not claiming right. this is the only take ever on this person. So do with it what you will. I think that's pretty much nobody else wrote this story that you wrote. And I get I get the whole, you know, uh, straight actors acting like gay people when there are gay actors that could fulfill the role, you know, better. But yeah. I think, I think, I think there are some times though, you know, I don't know. There, unless you're, give, unless you're making give fun and take. of people, I don't know why that's. Important. Yeah. Give and uh, take. And, and I think, and I think it's, it's, it's arguable that they ever made fun of Apu, for example, the Simpsons, I mean. Well, it's a stereotype. The guy running the, running the convenience store is a stereotype right there. It's, it's not one that's based on nothing. It's a reality. Tell- there's, there's a reality to it. I mean, when I saw Apu, I recognized the guy who works at 7-Eleven near my house. Now, I didn't right. really have anything against the guy at 7-Eleven. I didn't really think they made fun of Apu all that much. But a white guy doing that accent, I could see how people would be uncomfortable. That would make people squirm a little bit. That's not that's not entirely like a cancel culture type of thing. There's a little bit of reality to, to that. Well, thing. I mean, I guess I guess if you, if you, if you think that blackface extends to voice you know yeah. or something I mean, yeah i can see that maybe who does the voice of the doctor well again it used to be a white white guy and oh, he, okay. he no longer does it i think they have a, a different voice actor who is in fact african-american you have to say it's a bit groundbreaking because you've got this whole cast of like a very multicultural cast you have that other doctor that that is i guess he's supposed to be hispanic or spanish he's like hey everybody it's me you know doctor whatever and then you got mm-hmm. the b guy I always thought um, that was hilarious when I was a kid because we would put on Telemundo every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. There was a show where there was a guy dressed like a bee. And when I was <laughs> like, I didn't understand any Spanish. So we would all just look at it and be like, why is there a guy dressed like yeah. a bee? And there was Which that was guy funny. Yeah, that, 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 was like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was actually thinking there's a Simpson episode where they do the World Cup, right? Uh-huh. And like the World Cup is in Springfield. Like, and it, because the World Cup has been going on, it, it made me it made me think of it. But it, it kind of laugh every time I think about it, because they had the American announcers. John passes to Bob. Bob passes to John. John passes to Bob. Bob passes to Andy. Andy passes back to John. <laughs> and then you have then you have like the Mexican announcers, right. and they're like da 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 super excited about all these very you know, really boring kind of wrote things that the Americans are like, uh-huh, this is happening. And then this is happening. Yeah. And, and so I was watching the world cup. I had to laugh. It's 
especially when the final score is like one to zero or something. I'm not on this uh, this American thing. I mean, I don't follow Major League Soccer like MLS. I don't I don't follow that. I don't really follow the other big sports except baseball and football to some extent. But I really don't follow MLS. But all this talk about like the World Cup being boring, I love watching World Cup. I watch that every day. I mean, that's fun. I I was over getting a pizza slice the other day, and that Morocco and Spain game was on, and I was uh, just I was just glued to the TV for the whole second. Well, I, I will say I will say this though. I I, I agree. I agree with you. The World Cups. It is fun. But part of the big fun was the stands and the fans. And Qatar, they're so totalitarian yeah. that they've cracked down on all the all the fun yeah. going on in the stands. You had you had women in elaborate costumes, you had guys going oh, yeah. crazy and bonkers and everybody dressing up and everybody yeah. getting drunk and acting insane. Absolutely. All yeah. of that's all of that's gone. All the great very chance, all the great soccer chances and yeah. stuff like that. That's a big yeah. part of the game. Like, I'm hoping olé, 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 olé. I'm sure they've already announced where the next one is. So I'm making an idiot of myself, but I wish it was going to be somewhere like England where it would just be filthy and disgusting. Oh, can you imagine? That would be a lot of fun. Nothing but, but hooligans. Oh, yeah. that'd be great. I actually, <laughs> don't know, I actually don't know where the next world cup's being. Um, so one of the things I was impressed with, we mentioned James Brooks at one point. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of clicking on his biography and it's, it's impressive. So yeah. it's, it's like he's a nexus of success. It's like everything around this man. was He, he was on Mary Tyler Moore, mm -hmm. right? He wrote for Taxi, which that's one of my minor surprises. Taxi got kicked off the air after like four seasons. Yeah. That show was amazing. That How was amazing. That, that was an awesome show. God, that, that was a great show. Was, that had Andy Kaufman. Uh, Andy Kaufman was on. Lloyd, Daniel DeVito. Yep. All these amazing people. Yep. Like, how did that only last for four seasons? That's crazy. But yeah. Anyway, so he did that. He did marry Tyler Moore. Like I said, mm -hmm. he did um, Terms of Endearment. He decided to just dabble in filmmaking after doing, yeah. after doing that. Then went in, won an Academy Award for Terms of Endearment. Right. And broadcast news. I don't know if you remember how big that was. Yeah, and that's huge. As good as it gets, like years later. Mm -hmm. Involved in almost everything. And also his article. That, that, got an, that got an Academy Award, too, as good as it gets. Didn't I, it get, thought it did, I think it did, but I didn't want to mention it. For, uh, it up, Helen, I, I think Hel Helen Hunt, is that who was in it? Oh, no, I got Greg Kinnear won for Best Supporting. I remember oh, that. Greg Kinnear, okay. All Helen, right. Helen Hunt might have won for Best Actress, but I know Greg Kinnear won because okay. I was impressed. I always liked him. But anyway, so then he also decided to just mentor other directors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he worked on Say Anything, like Aaron Crow to do Say Anything, and mm -hmm. also Wes Anderson's first film. He was like mentoring, he was mentoring Wes Anderson on Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket, yeah. Like to that whole thing, like all of Wes Anderson. So. This is a, this is a guy who's at the ground at ground at ground level in a lot of really big stuff. So he so must have what what impressed me most about him was that he was able to negotiate that Fox had no say in the content of the episodes. Okay. Like Fox could not have any input at all. Wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> like like the the network saying, "Okay, okay, you can do whatever you want." You know, like that that has to be part of the contract is is we can do whatever we want and you have no say in it whatsoever nobody would do that nowadays nobody it'd be too no. dangerous you know they, they wouldn't but trust him to do that but fox is in the end it was smart of them to do it because the, the, you know Absolutely. obviously there's no fox anymore they're owned, they're owned by disney essentially but that yeah. property is worth who knows how much because they God, let it work they let it work without the restraints of right they would have imposed on it it's like the building a brand philosophy. You know, you just go ahead and do some crazy stuff that you wouldn't have done otherwise and just let the quit the quality lead the way. Right. People don't do that anymore, but yeah, for sure. No, not anymore at all. Did you happen to look at 
at how much the voice actors actors get paid? I, no, but I was thinking about this because I was thinking, uh, who are the two? So Dan Castellaneta and Julie Kavner were cast members of Tracy Ullman, which was a variety show. Yes. So Julie Kavner had like, I think actually won an Emmy before for working on Rhoda. But so I recognized her face when I saw her on the show, but they're just basically two sort of um, journeyman comedic TV actors. Right. Mm -hmm. And they got this job working on Tracy Ullman, which only lasted for two seasons. Mm -hmm. But while on the cast of Tracy Ullman, they were like, Hey, we need somebody to do these animated shorts. Does anybody want to do the voice of Homer? And like, you know, he's like, yeah, sure. And that ended up being like a, now tell me how much did they make for the, for the serendipity of being involved on the Tracy Ullman show? How okay. much are they worth it? Or okay. How much are they earning today? They were paid, there are six main voice actors, including Hank Azaria. They were paid $30,000 per episode. Okay. Initially hmm. in 1998. Then in 98, they renegotiated for $125,000 per episode. Then they renegotiated, let's see, in 2004 to $250,000 per episode. Okay. They are currently sitting at $300,000 per episode to voice The Simpsons. Now, now the funny the funny part is so Dan Cas Castellaneta he does Homer but he also does Grandpa and he does a bunch of other people oh he does Homer Grandpa Krusty the Clown Groundskeeper Willie Mayor Quimby Barney Gumble and other male adult characters it says Julia Kavner as you mentioned does Marge Patty and Selma Cartwright uh, Nancy Cartwright does Bart Simpson but also Nelson and Ralph Wiggum huh, we're all gonna die and then uh. He did, Hank Azaria does yeah. Mo, Chief Wiggum, Apu, Professor Frank. Shearer does Mr. Burns, Smithers, Principal Skinner, Ned Flanders, Reverend Lovejoy, blah, blah, blah. The luckiest right. person, the luckiest person on this show is a woman, woman named Yardley Smith. Right. I know exactly who she is. I used to watch Herman's Head. Okay. Yardley voices one character, Lisa, right. and that's it. That's yeah. all she does. Just one character. Can you imagine? She makes six million a year yep. to do voice acting for one character on this show. Yeah. I think that's incredible. Good, voice, good for her. She's, got a good voice. It, it, she's just right for the character. Good for she sort of she sort of sounds like Lisa. She does being she does. herself. You know. I actually, um, I think that kind of I, I knew who which character she did, and I think over the years it sort of turned in my head into her doing part. I forgot that it wasn't her doing part. Uh, yeah, I, Nancy part, right? Yeah, up just now. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, she's the one that does. Lisa, because I remember, like I said, she was sort of the morose secretary on Herman's head. And I remember her pretty distinct. It's a very, very distinctive looking face. And so I think we're getting around to that time. I don't know if we covered think, everything I think, there is to say about the Simpsons. I know we haven't. Oh, God, no, we haven't. Uh, there's a lot more to say. But I was going to say, gonna say we could have a Simpsons podcast, but I guarantee there's probably 15 Simpsons podcast yeah, there's, podcasts. Matter of fact, I think Yardley is probably we wouldn't doing come in number 20. Well. Right, right. No, I think at least one of the actors is doing like a go. podcast so that um, makes sense because they're voice actors that makes perfect sense but so, this was uh so so biggest surprise what was your what was your biggest surprise oh my biggest that? surprise my biggest surprise was so it turned out when matt graining did the shorts the original shorts for the tracy Ullman show what he did is he sketched out the characters and he handed mm -hmm. them in and he, what he thought was that they would then be refined because that's typically what happens because these are sketches. Right. Right. They'd be refined, penciled out, and then colored and everything else. That's not what happened. What happened <laughs> is that the inkers then did exactly what he sketched out. Just traced it. Yeah. Just traced it. 
And yep. so in the in the Tracy Ullman show, you have these really funky looking characters. They don't they sort of look like the Simpsons, but it looks like something my four year old would have done, you know. And then he was able to refine that with this new show. And they look now the way they look. So in the, in the Christmas special, they pretty much look like the Simpsons that we know. They've yeah, been refined. They've, they've been refined. They've already been refined from what was on Tracy Ullman, by the right. way. So I guess that was my, sort of my biggest surprise. I mean, there's a lot of surprises. Minor, uh, minor, footnote, minor footnote to that process <laughs> is, that, is that they actually just wanted him to use the Life in Hell characters. Right, right. But he, Oh, that's right, yeah. He didn't want to do that, so he just kind of spitballed the characters, and they're just yeah. based on his family. Yeah. I think it's even well, like maybe the names of his parents and his brothers. Everybody's, yeah, yeah, yep. He got more brothers and sisters that he didn't include in this, although later he said that, so Bart is an anagram of Brat. Is right. Where I got that. But the character of Bart is based on his real-life brother, Mark. Just a minor but footnote. His, his dad's name was Homer. His mom's name was Marge. Yeah, that's, um, that's his, his, his mom's maiden name was Wiggum. Which I thought was funny. Oh, I didn't catch um, that. That's a good one. I like that. But That's yeah, so 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 they wanted to do uh, Life in Hell, but <clears> he was afraid that if he did that, because he owned complete rights to it, he was right. he would have to give the, up the rights to his comic strip. Right. Or that these characters. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that he yeah. was afraid that the Simpsons, this little thing, would destroy right. his <laughs> right. big big money item. Right. So anyway, I guess that was probably my biggest surprise. How about you? Yeah, that's good. I like that. I like sort of the fly by the seat of the pants way that mm -hmm. this was developed um, is pretty good. But so minor, minor surprise is that the song that this is based on chestnuts roasting on an open fire. The title's the Christmas song. It's just called the Christmas song. <laughs> the if I Christmas said to you, song, oh, play yeah, the Christmas song, the odds of you coming up with that, you wouldn't have any right. idea what I'm talking about. I think that's hilarious. But right. my that big surprise, my big surprise is that Throughout the years that this show has been on TV, there's been a lot of controversy, not controversy, but a, a debate about where The Simpsons takes place. All right. Yeah. And my theory, and I don't know anything about Matt Groening or anything. My theory was always that it's got to be Oregon because it seems very, it's not California, but it's clearly on the coast and you can get to a desert. Mm -hmm. So that's weird. How can you get to a desert anywhere but on the West Coast? It's got to be West Coast. And it's not a big city like Seattle. So I always just figured Oregon. That's what I always figured in the back of my head. And reading all this, I'm like, it's definitely Oregon. That's where yeah. he's from. That's what this right. is based on. Right. The, the, the town, I think he's from Portland originally. And a bunch of the characters, like Quigley, a, a, a bunch of these, I'm sorry, Quimby, a bunch of the characters are just named after streets in Portland. And so I, and so I don't actually think the show takes place in a particular locale, but there's a reason why I was getting an Oregon vibe. An Oregon vibe, Oregon. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of funny, actually. So that's, I think that's my biggest surprise, is that there's actually some, some backing to my stance on this art. <laughs> I've always said it's yeah. Oregon. I, I think I'm right. I think I've been right. Well, right. maybe. Yeah, maybe so. So we're going to vote, right? I think so. Well, you're going to vote. It's, it's up um, to you. you. You are the master of this domain. So I'm going to go on a couple different levels here. Okay. As a Simpsons episode, huh? this would not be one of my top episodes. Right. Not even, okay. Not even Makes close. sense. Sure. But, and, and I don't think the Tracy Ullman ones are any good at all. I wouldn't show them to anybody. <laughs> right. But in terms of this one, you can watch this one and it's a Simpsons episode. This episode is like a completely full formed Simpsons episode. It fits into the, just the canon of Simpsons episode. And because it's the first, I think it's got to be, it's got to be a classic. It's got to be awesome. Like I said, I don't think it's one of the best episodes. It's not, a, if I were doing a classic Simpsons episode podcast, uh -huh. I probably wouldn't pick this one. I'd be like, no, nah, right. there's a whole bunch of other really famous ones. In fact, the first episode was supposed to be 
the episode with the evil babysitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that's like a, like it turns out to be a murderer or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a better, funnier episode than this yeah, one. Yeah. Right. But right. anyway, I say we vote for it. I'll All right. It. So. All right. Well, cheers. Uh, I've emptied a couple of bottles, so make a All little. Right. There we go. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, on Toasting the Classics. We've settled this one. We know that the Simpsons are now the, a classic. We can officially call them that. Oh, are we voting on the if we're voting on the whole series? Is not a debate. It's definitely a classic. Yeah, Just well, this episode. This episode, yeah. this episode. As a whole, as a genesis. What I was going to say is that my next uh, book, I wanted to give you heads up for it. We're going to be doing um, John Steinbeck, Tortilla Flats. I thought that would be kind of a fun one to do. Okay. I've never read it. I've heard it's a good one. I read The Red Pony when I was a little kid, and I really didn't like it. And I read, but mostly because it involves horse death, which I just didn't was didn't want to read. But <laughs> right. That's my pick, Tortilla Flats. Nice, okay. short, quality novel. Um, and that's for our book episode. So uh, thanks for joining us on Toasting the Classics, everybody out there, both of you. This is Dave MacArthur signing off. And this is Clinton here. Same peace. Peace out. That's it for episode 68 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some grappa for our discussion of the John Steinbeck novella, Tortilla Flat. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know whether you think Apu is a problem. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Mm-hmm.